0: Twenty four and twenty five again. We've been looking at this for a little while now. Jude Chapter Well, the only chapter, verses 24 and 25. The Bible says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. We've looked at two things out of here. We've looked at he who is able to protect us from, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. That word keep means to protect. But then we've also looked at unto him that is able to present us, when it says now to him that is able to prevent you faultless uh, in the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. And there's a third one here that I want us to look at tonight. But I want you to think about something real quick when it comes to reading these two verses. There's kind of a little parenthetical middle thought here, okay? If you were just to read the sentence without that parenthetical verse 24 would go like this. Now unto him, verse 25, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. But what we get in the middle there is a description of him. Now unto him. Who's the him? The him is he that is able. And he's able to do three things. He's able to protect us, He's able to present us. And then the last one is found in that little bit of verse 25, to the only wise God, our Savior. He is the one who is able to pardon us. He's our Savior. Notice how it's worded, to the only wise God, our Savior. He is the only one who could save us. He's the only one who could present an answer or provide a solution. Only him. He is the only wise God. So I want to look at a few, just a few moments here. I want to look at this idea of he who is able to pardon. He who is able to pardon, to save us. A couple of things I want you to think about tonight. The first thing I want you to think about is this. He is preeminent. The per, word preeminent means to be above or to surpass all others. There is not a God like our God. In fact, the reality is, is there is no other God. Have you ever stopped to realize or to actually think about that fact? That when they talk about Allah, they're talking about a ghost. When somebody mentions Buddha, it's a ghost. Confucius, ghost. Any of these false gods, any of the gods that the world around us worships, do not exist. They are not alive. They hold no power. They have no ability. We worship The one, the only wise God. In um, Micah, chapter 7, verse 8, Micah said this, Who is a God like unto thee, that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. But he says, Who is a God like unto thee? There are no gods like our God. Because he is the one and only true God. David said in Psalm 135, verses 15 through 18, he said, the idols of the heathen are silver and gold. The work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Neither is there any breath in their mouths. Listen to how sad verse 18 is. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a God who is not made with men's hands. We have a God who has a mouth, and he speaks. He has eyes, and he sees. And praise the Lord, he has ears, and he hears our prayers. He is alive. He is real. He is real. And the rest of the world worships something, an identity, a name that does not exist it does absolutely nothing for them it does absolutely nothing for them the fact that we worship the one and true god is the one thing that causes us so many problems um i saw i saw a little cartoon this week, and it was like, uncle I think it was Uncle Sam and a little kid, and it had something about, um, you know, from the Declaration of Independence about us having these inali- unalienable rights from our creator. Do you realize that right there is why we are losing our unalienable rights in our country today? Because we're beginning to live in a country that does not believe in a creator. That right there is why our rights will erode. Because w- As soon as we get rid of God, which is what evolution in our public schools are teaching, as soon as we erase God, you have no more unalienable rights given to you by your creator because I don't want to acknowledge a creator because the second I acknowledge a creator, I'm responsible to that creator and that's the world around us. They don't want to acknowledge God. They don't want to admit that they were created because then they're responsible. The reality is, is in a lot of ways our government wants to be God. They want to tell you what your rights are. And that's why we're going to lose our rights. Because we don't believe in God anymore. We have people in authority. They can say they go to church and wherever they want, but the reality is their life doesn't back it up. They don't believe in God. And the second you remove God, you remove those rights. Um, I've been reading this book by Todd Starnes, um, and in the wonderful state of Pennsylvania that we used to live in, this past year in 2019, I want, to, I want to read you something. In 2019, State Representative Stephanie Barowitz was invited to deliver a prayer at the beginning of the legislative day. Now, Mrs. Barowitz was a freshman lawmaker, um, and her husband was a Christian pastor or minister there in Pennsylvania. Now, it just so happened that Mrs. Barowitz was invited to pray at the opening of the legislative day. But on that same day, the state's first female Muslim lawmaker was going to be sworn in. Okay? So they've invited Mrs. Barowitz to come pray, who was a Christian. And after she prays, they're going to swear in the very first female Muslim lawmaker in the state of Pennsylvania. Listen to her prayer. This blew my mind. This is her prayer Jesus. I thank you for this privilege, Lord, of letting me pray, God, that I, Jesus, am your ambassador today. Standing here representing you, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the great I am, the one who is coming back again, the one who came, died, and rose again on the third day. I'm so privileged to stand here today, so thank you for this honor, Jesus. God, for those that came before us, like George Washington in in Valley Forge, And Abraham Lincoln who sought after you in Gettysburg and the Founding Fathers in Independence Hall. Jesus, that sought after you and fasted and prayed for this nation to be founded on your principles and your words and your truths. God, forgive us. Jesus, we've lost sight of you. We've forgotten you, God, in our country. And we are asking you to forgive us. Jesus, your promise and your word says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek your face, and turn from your wicked ways, that you'll heal their, our land. Jesus, you are our only hope. God, I pray for our leaders. Speaker Terzi, Leader Coulter, Governor Wolf, President Trump, Lord. Thank you, for, thank you that he stands beside Israel unequivocally, Lord. Thank you that, Jesus, that we are blessed because we stand by Israel and we ask for the peace of Jerusalem as your word says, God. We ask that we not be overcome by evil and that we overcome evil with good in this land once again. I claim all these things in the powerful, mighty name of Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that you, Jesus, are Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. What? The lady can preach. Man, what a prayer. In, 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 the, in the capital of Pennsylvania, right before a Muslim woman is about to get sworn in. What truth? You would not believe the backlash that woman suffered. Governor Wolf, Democrat, liberal is all get out. She was called Islamophobic, horrible names, sent letters, emails. Why? Because of the name of Jesus. And ladies and gentlemen, our God is preeminent He's the one that gets taken in vain. His name is the one that gets taken in vain. How many people hit their, ha- their thumb with a hammer and say Allah, Buddha, Confucius? Nobody does that. Nobody does that. We take his name in vain. Because he's the only true God. He's the only real God. Our God is preeminent. He is the only wise God that word wise means to be skilled it means to be an expert he is the only expert God in my salvation what an amazing God we serve Isaiah said in Isaiah 37 19 and have cast their gods into fi- into the fire for they were no gods but the work of men's hands wood and stone therefore they have destroyed them Habakkuk said what profiteth the graven image that the maker thereof hath graven it. The molten image and a teacher of lies that the maker of, of, this, of his work trusted therein to make dumb idols. And dumb doesn't mean dumb. It means they don't talk. They don't say anything. He's not saying they're stupid idols. He's saying they're dumb. They can't talk. There's no life in them. Woe unto him that saith to the wood, Awake! Arise! It shall teach. We would think that person crazy. Ladies and gentlemen, those who worship false gods, that's exactly what they're doing. He says, behold, it is laid over with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in the midst of it. Ladies and gentlemen, we worship the preeminent one, the one true God. There is no other God. There is no other God. He is preeminent in our salvation. But secondly, he made provision. He made a provision for you and me. In Mark 10, 45, it says, for even the son of man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. He provided the solution. He made the provision. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse six, it says, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. He provided. We didn't provide. The Bible even says that there's none that seeketh after God. We didn't even go looking for a solution. God saw us in our need. God made the initiative or took the initiative, and God provided for our salvation. He made the provision. You start studying false religions from around the world, you provide the provision. It's on your shoulders. You have to match up, you have to live right, you have to fulfill. That's not the way God gave us salvation. His Son was the provision. He fulfilled the law. He provided himself. Not only is he preeminent, not only did he make a provision, but next, he purchased our salvation. 1 Corinthians 6.20, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 1 Peter through 19 for as much as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Ladies and gentlemen, we've been purchased. We've been bought. And he paid the price. He purchased our salvation. 1 Corinthians 6.20, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. My son came to me a week ago. Wesley, he came to me a week or two ago. We were talking, I think we were in the car. And he was asking me some questions about some different things. One of those things was, is it wrong for me to dye my hair? And I was like, well, as long as you live in my house, yeah. Then he said, would it be wrong for me to, like, pierce my ears? And I'm like, well, if you don't want them jerked out, yeah. Then he said, can I wear a necklace? Well, I mean, I I was like, well, okay. Then he said, you know, and then every now and then it's like, hey, can I buy these shoes? Or, hey, can I buy this? Or, hey, can I get that? And that's fine. It doesn't bother me, him asking me those questions. But honestly, my number one answer is 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20. As a Christian, you're bought with a price. And it is your responsibility to glorify God in your body and in your spirit. So my number one question is this. What you want to do, does it glorify God in your body or yourself? That's my first question. What's the honest answer to that? What is the honest answer to that? Ladies and gentlemen, God owns us. He bought you. He paid for you. Do you, like it? Do you like it when you buy something? Maybe, maybe, you, maybe it's a tool, maybe it's something for the house, maybe it's something that you want, maybe, maybe it's a fishing pole or something for a hobby or whatever it is. Do you like it if people just come in and pick it up and start messing around and tinkering with it? Probably not, right? Especially if it's nice. You know, if you ran to Walmart and you bought the $5 deal and it was like, yeah, it'll meet the need for today and, and after that I don't really care, maybe you wouldn't care. But you know, if you went out and you bought the high dollar name brand and, it, and it's something nice, Probably don't want anybody just messing around with it. I don't really like that. But you know, sometimes that's the way we are with God. Yeah, God, I know you bought me, but this is what I want to do. Yeah, God, I know you paid for me, but I want to live this way. Yeah, God, I know you bought me, but you know what it is? It's about me glorifying myself. It's not about God. It's not about God. So he purchased our salvation. He's preeminent. He made a provision. He purchased our salvation. The fourth thing, when you think about this, he pacified his own anger. He pacified his own anger. Do you realize that there was judgment hanging over your head? If you sit here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, there is judgment hanging over your head. I believe Jonathan Edwards, in his sermon, um, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, he spoke of walking above like an eggshell-type ground, and at any moment it could crack and break and you could plummet into eternity. And ladies and gentlemen, without Jesus Christ, you stand with judgment hanging over you because of your sin. And he pacified that anger, that wrath, that judgment that we deserve. He pacified that. In Isaiah 53, verse 11, Isaiah said this, He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. But God, in Christ's sacrifice, God was satisfied. He was satisfied. In Romans chapter 3, verse 25, the Bible says this, Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation. Now, the word propitiation is a, you know, I don't know, maybe a two or or $3,000 word. But um, the propiti- the word propitiation means to be a substitute. But it doesn't just mean to be a substitute. It means to be a satisfactory substitute. It's just not in place of. It is something that meets all the criteria. It is, sati- it is a satisfying substitute. And Jesus Christ wasn't just our substitute, ladies and gentlemen, but he was the substitute, the only substitute that could satisfy the law and the wrath and judgment of God because of your sin and mine. I'll give you something real interesting. When I was in college, I had to write a paper for our Romans class. So I wrote a paper on this word, propitiation. This word propitiation, if you were to go to the Old Testament, which was written in what? What language? Hebrew and what? Aramaic, right? So there is a version of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, which is written in what? Greek, okay? New Testament is written in Greek. There is a copy of the Old Testament written in Greek. It's called the Septuagint. Here's what's interesting. In the Old Testament law, if you were to go back and study the mercy seat, you remember the ark of God? And in that ark was the law, it was, uh, was it, uh, Moses' staff, and Aaron's rod, right? Or no, Aaron's rod and, and manna, right? And there you had the sin of man. And above that was the mercy seat, which stood between God and our sin, And you had the cherubims that had their wings that came over the mercy seat. And it was there that the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on that mercy seat once a year to make atonement for the sins of the people. Right? That word mercy seat, that sits there between the sin of man and God's holiness, that mercy seat where the blood was sprinkled, it's the word propitiation. They come from the same word. Mercy seat propitiation it is the neatest study and jesus christ is your propitiation he's our mercy seat he is the one that is there between us and god he's the one who satisfies god's satisfied god's anger and god's judgment in first john 2, 2, and he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world In first john 4:10 here in his love not that we loved god because reality is, ladies and gentlemen, we didn't love God. We didn't want anything to do with God. We were happy in our sin. We were loving life. We were living it up until somebody finally said, hey, the Word of God says this. Until finally somebody stopped us in our tracks and shared the Word of God with us, and we realized we were a sinner. Until that point, we weren't looking for God. We weren't looking for God. He says here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. (laughs) He sent him to be the satisfactory substitute even when we had no desire for God. Even when I could care less about God, he sent his son to die in my place. What an amazing thing. He He is the one who is able to pardon He is able to pardon to the only wise God, our Savior. Ladies and gentlemen, what an amazing Savior we have. What an amazing God we serve. So that brings me to verse 25. Not only do we see here he who is able to pardon, but the last thing I want you to think about real quick, and we'll be done with the book, is he who deserves our praise. Notice verse 25. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Now, I want, I want to make one little, I don't know, preface, I guess might be the word. God gets these no matter what. Because they're his. These four things that Jude mentions here, God possesses because of who he is and because of his character. He does not possess them or have them because we give them to him, because we, we, because, um, because we give them unto him. He doesn't get them because of that. We actually need to acknowledge and give them to him because of who he is and what he already possesses. It is our responsibility to acknowledge this this glory, this majesty, this dominion and power. We should acknowledge these in our lives every day. He gets the glory. He gets the majesty. He gets the the dominion. And he gets the power. Because here's the thing. In Luke 19, verses 37 through 40, Luke said this. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that he had, they had seen, saying, blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said to him, master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said to them, I tell you, tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out, Ladies and gentlemen, God will get the praise. He will get the glory. If we zip it and we keep it quiet, God will get praise from somebody or something. Because it's his. He deserves it. So he's gonna get it. And we get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of that. I want you to think think about this real quick. Number one, I want you to think about this. His character will be Or should be praised. The first thing he says unto him be glory and majesty. The word glory and majesty here, sort of synonyms, they carry kind of the same idea. The word glory means praise, worship, dignity. But the word majesty carries the same idea of praise, worship, or dignity, but it also carries the idea of a stately or an imposing character. Why does God get the glory? Because of his majesty. It is his glory or his majesty that demands our glory or that we give him glory. It's kind of like the office of the president. Unfortunately, we live in a day and age when it doesn't get maybe the respect that it should on a lot of levels. But I'm gonna tell you this. Regardless of your political, your opinions and where you stand on different things, if a group of secret servicemen came walking in that door and President Trump came walking in behind them, you're going to show some form of respect because he's the president of the United States, okay? There's going to be some form of respect, okay? If, it, for, if for no other reason, it's going to be fear because you don't want one of those secret servicemen either tackling you or putting a bullet in you, Okay? But there will be some level of respect because of the office, if for no other reason. At least there should be. And ladies and gentlemen, our God holds an office greater than the President of the United States. Our God is greater than the President of the United States. And his character, his majesty demands that we give him glory. It demands that we give him glory. So his character will be praised. And not only will his character be praised, but his authority will be exercised with power. Notice the next thing. Dominion and power. What's interesting is it's kind of the same way with the glory and the majesty. This power means to possess authority or absolute power. For example... Mr. Dan, did you drive your car tonight? You drove your red car? What is it? Yes. Okay, but I saw you this afternoon in it. And it, it's a Chevy 2 Nova, right? Chevy 2 Nova? Is it fast? Yeah. I'm sure it can tear up some tires. Now, if Mr. Dan, let's say he would have driven it tonight, right? And I'm walking over here, and I see some keys, and I'm like, oh, man. These are the keys to Mr. Dan's car. And I went out there and I cranked it up and I threw it sideways and headed out the the driveway and got out here on 34. Woo! Mr. Dan, what you gonna think? (laughs) Exactly. You know why? Because I don't possess the authority. Those aren't my keys. It's not my car. I have no right to get into his car and do as I please. It's not mine. It's not my place. It is not my authority. Many of you in here live in homes. And if I just came walking up to your house one night and threw open the doors and, hey, what's for dinner, came walking in, you'd be like, what do you think you're doing? Yeah, you might call the cops. You might shoot me. I don't know. I wouldn't, well, actually, he kind of lives that way. But anyway. Why? Because I don't possess that authority. I don't have the right to just walk in. That's not mine. That's exactly what this word power means. It means to possess the authority to do what you want. Mr. Dan can take that car if he wants to and go out here and run it into a pole. He can, he can burn, it, burn those tires out all he wants. Why? They're his. He possesses that authority. Listen, and because he possesses that authority, he has the dominion to do with it as he pleases. So now let's bring that into relationship, relationship to God. Here, God has dominion and power. God, as creator, has the authority to do whatever he wants. And he has the dominion or the ability to do whatever he wants. He has the right and he has the ability to do what he wants because he's God. Because he's God. And ladies and gentlemen, in our lives, because of God's character and his majesty, we should give him glory. And because he is God and he possesses power, absolute authority, we should acknowledge that and allow him to work and to control our lives. He has the right to work in our lives. Mr. Kevin, your testimony tonight blows my mind. Your surgery ended up being on Tuesday, right? And Monday, that second doctor or surgeon could not be there. Was it aggravating Monday? Were you hungry? Yeah. Were you frustrated? discouraged? Yeah. But God was out in front. God was already working. You didn't know that. We were talking this morning in the book of Genesis about Jacob and his reunion with Esau and how when they were coming uh, from Laban's house and Esau was coming with 400 men to meet Jacob and how Jacob was afraid. So Jacob set up these 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 herds and he put all these gifts out there for his for his brother and he put some animals out here with a servant, then another group of animals with a servant, and another group of animals with a servant, and a more group and more animals with servants. And he told the servants, "When you come to eat, when Esau comes, tell him these are a gift for you from your brother Jacob." And bow yourself down to the ground. I think it was seven times. And Esau gets to Jacob. And he runs up and he hugs them, it says on the neck, and they wept. And he asks him. he says, what meaneth all these gifts? He's like, what's this all about? You know what it was? Jacob was setting up buffers just in case Esau and his 400 men attacked so that he and his family could flee. That was Jacob's plan. But you know what God did? God worked it all out before Jacob ever got there. Esau was ready He was ready to be reunited. He was ready to forgive. He was ready to move on. He was ready to love on his brother. Jacob didn't know that. Mr. Kevin didn't know about what was going to happen Tuesday when Monday happened. And you see, ladies and gentlemen, that's the authority and the dominion or the power of our God. He is able to work things out before we ever even get there. Before we ever even get there. And yeah, you know what? Sometimes our circumstances are disappointing. They're frustrating. We've all been there. And then it's the next day or later on in the future, we find out, oh man, God worked all those details out. And what an amazing testimony that is. So he who deserves our praise, his character will be praised and his authority will be exercised in power. And then we have the last couple words of the verse. Both now and ever, amen. And here we see that God, throughout history, throughout time, even before time began, gets the glory, the majesty, the dominion, and the power, both now and forever. He who is the same yesterday, today, and forever will be glorified, and he will have dominion both now and forever. It'll always be that way, and it'll never change. And here, Jude closes with one word, amen. Let it be so. Let it be so. May it be so in your life and may it be so in my life that we give God the glory and we give him the dominion in our lives. May we give him the glory and the dominion in our lives. Amen. Let it be so. Let it be so. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the book of Jude. And Lord, I pray that Lord, I pray that our hearts would desire to give you the glory each day, that we would desire to give you the dominion, the right to rule, allow you to rule and to govern in our lives each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.